Welcome to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Take your assigned seats and listen close as the next hour will have you rethinking the public education system while you listen to Ross and his guests share their expertise and experiences in the field. Class is in session. Here is your host, Ross Danis. Welcome everyone to Let's Reimagine, Let's Reinvent School, the MECED program that focuses not on what's wrong with our schools, but rather what's possible. This week, homeschooling, the fastest growing education initiative in America. I was surprised to learn that over 195,000 young people, no, 179,000 young people in North Carolina alone are being educated in over 112 homeschools. That's a 100% increase over the previous year. In fact, homeschooling is up all across the country. We're going to take a deep dive today. We're going to be joined by four uh, amazing guests, four, four people who are homeschooling or have homeschooled their children. But before we get to them, a little background. You know, 1987 law says that once parents notify the state that they're opening a homeschool, they don't have to report details like how many students they have, what they're learning, how they're performing academically. They do have to administer an annual test, but they don't have to report the scores of those tests. In fact, a parent can issue a diploma and can write the transcripts that get sent to college on behalf of a student. So it's, uh, it's been fascinating to learn more about homeschooling. Some of the frustrations that people have about the lack of regulation uh, is a concern now that so many people are choosing this as an option for their children. So as I said earlier, we have four homeschool parents joining us today, and we're very fortunate to have them, each with a slightly different reason for homeschooling their children. You're here, you'll hear their stories, and we'll learn about the challenges, the joys, the impact that it's had on them and their children. By the way, we're only using first names today as, at the request of a couple of our guests. So let's welcome the first two segments of our program. We'll, they'll be joining us for for a deep discussion around homeschooling, Ashley, Kelly, Nikolai, and Kimmy, each with an important and different story to tell. And the final segment of our program will be joined by Shelly Bybee, MECED's COO, a former teacher and a mom herself, who will help us answer the question, what did we learn today? So first, full disclosure, Ashley is my wonderful niece. She's coming to us from Winter Garden, Florida. Ashley, you jumpstart the conversation by telling us about the reasons or reason why you chose to homeschool your daughter for a year and how did it impact you? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And I am very happy that uh, we have a program that can shed some light on the pros and cons, trials and tribulations about homeschooling. Um, I, having been formally a teacher, um, not in elementary education, although my student is an elementary student, um, I was fortunate to have the courage to enter into the homeschooling realm, I would say more so than maybe some other parents might feel um, unprepared to do so. Um, so I think um, the main reason why I chose to enlist my daughter as a homeschooler is because of her um, academic achievements and advancements. Um, as a young child, um, of course, like I said, being a previous teacher, I use teaching principles and practices um, from the day that she was born. And whether that be the reason or just her, you know, the, her brain capacity and how she operates, 
she was highly advanced for her age. Um, so when I entered her into her, you know, preliminary education classes, pre-K, um, they wanted to progress her faster. So they went ahead and skipped her into the next grade. Um, but here in Florida, um, you basically, once you get into the kindergarten age, everything is um, set by your birth date versus your ability. Um, and I think that's probably true in many other states throughout the U.S., um, but specifically here, they're very stringent about it's just about the day you were born and what grade you can be entered into. Mm -hmm. So when we reached her going into public education, um, they basically said that she could not enter, although she had already finished her, her prerequisite of pre-kindergarten. Um, so therefore, I decided uh, with that, um, along with the 2020, you know, uh, quarantine, Pandemic. Mm -hmm. a lot of the um, options for homeschooling that were led for virtual schooling. Um, I decided that it would be best to kind of create my own curriculum that was more tailored to her specific needs. Um, there is a great program for virtual school here in Florida. However, we tried that for about a week and it was just not at her level. So therefore, um, I then found out how to just do a traditional homeschooling, which believe it or not is way easier than getting her enrolled in anything else, which was simply a one page, um, form and an email to the superintendent. So if you had continued, if you had continued to take advantage of the, um, online or virtual schooling, would she still have been enrolled in a district public school then? Yes. So the mm -hmm. Florida virtual school is in, um, I believe it is uh, in coordination with the Florida public schools. So her local school that she would have been enrolled in had she been attending in person. Got it. Um, and those are typically easier to transition back and forth from again mm -hmm. with 2020 they were very, this was um, kind of a common principle mm -hmm. of those mm -hmm. students that were still doing um, school from home. But that is very different, I feel, than actual homeschooling. Like the, mm -hmm. you're creating the curriculum, you're going based off of the standards and you are curating the lesson plans versus sitting your child in front of a right. screen and trying to form that right. relationship with all these other students and interaction just via zoom. I'm going to hit a pause button there and, and move on to Kelly and Kelly's story. We're going to circle back to you, Ashley, because I have so many questions about funding. You know, do parents get tax breaks or should they even get tax breaks for educating their children? And if you're not enrolled in the school, the district can't build a state for your child, but they can, if you're in a virtual academy, but that's, that's another story. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Kelly, what's the underlying reason for you and your child and the decision you made to keep him or her sure. at home. Well, um, first of all, I have four children, mm -hmm. um, currently ages 12 to 20, um, and we've been homeschooling all along um, since the beginning. And I would say that my reasons for homeschooling were um, primarily the, the attraction of the flexibility that it allowed us um, and the fact that when my kids were quite young, I didn't necessarily want to send them away for you know six or eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, it's been, um, you know, it's looked different every single year that we've done it. Um, 
I, I usually, if, if pressed, I usually describe us as eclectic homeschoolers. So there, we do not use a set curriculum. Um, we are, you know, bringing in resources from all kinds of places. Um, we're following the kids' interests um, as a, a sort of um, a lens for you know, teaching particular skills um, or information. Um, we're able, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of public education in theory. I really believe in it deeply. My parents were educators. I grew up in a public school system. Um, but I also recognize that there are limitations to it um, these days and, and in particular in the material that is taught um, with regard to things like history. Um, and so, yeah, we just really wanted to be able to give them sort of a fuller, um, fuller educational experience and, and also, you know, have adventures together as a family. I can't imagine how much fun that could be and how challenging it could be. You know, you're, you have four. I did read that families can come together. Two families can come together and share the responsibilities for homeschooling their children. Um, do you have any in interaction with the school district? Uh, very little. Um, yeah, oh, okay. very little. You have to submit anything? I live in, I live in a few different states. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, so I live, in, I live in Massachusetts, and in Massachusetts, you're required to submit a letter of intent and an education, a home education plan. Um, and at the end of the year, you are asked to submit um, a portfolio or testing. Um, I, I have not always registered. I have sometimes chosen not to um, wow. in our homeschool time. I can I can only share that because I'm registered this year, um, which we did because my third oldest is taking, who is 15, is taking a class at the local community college. And so in order to um, be a dual enrollment student, she needs to be registered with the school system. Um, but actually, just to speak quickly to the um, information you gave at the beginning, every state has different rules about around that. So when I lived in Arizona, for instance, you sent a letter of intent at the beginning of your homeschooling journey and you never had to check in again. And then in Virginia, um, it's similar to Massachusetts where you you send in sort of a plan and then you you know, do testing or portfolio at the end, except for people who take a religious exemption and they don't have to do anything at all. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Nikolai, you're in, you're in Atlanta, aren't you? I am. And in Georgia, you also do not have to um, submit much of anything, but you do have to register a letter of intent every year. Wow. And do you have to submit test results at the end of the year or show progress? You do not. Mm. Once again, fascinating. Um, so what, what, were, what were your reasons? I know slightly different from the other two that we've just heard. Yes, I actually enrolled my son in kindergarten. He had not been to preschool. When he walked into kindergarten, he was reading and doing math and writing at almost a second grade level. And within six months, because of educational trauma and the practices in that public school, he developed dysgraphia tons of anxiety. He would not pick up a pencil and write um, because he was constantly cast aside because he was advanced. Um, there was also explicit and implicit bias and um, racial bias towards him and his person. So after about, yeah, after about six months, his teacher reached out to me outside of school and she said, we are losing him so quickly. Mm -hmm. 
And we made the decision, I made the decision with him to withdraw from school. Um, but what has happened over the last eight years has been amazing. And I'm so grateful, not for his trauma, but for our ability to see that we have agency in our education and in the way that we carry our lives and in the way that we measure um, learning and progress. When you, you talked earlier about with me about decentering, what do you, what do you mean when you say decentering? Well, what has happened um, over the last six years is that I have helped, I have become a consultant and have helped many parents transition from conventional schooling into unschooling and homeschooling. But there are many parents that cannot homeschool. And that's just a reality. 90% of our parents go to some kind of conventional schooling. And so what I like to remind people is that attendance is compulsory. That is that is the requirement. However, at home, you do not have to center up and uphold the metrics of school, which means that if your second grader is not doing great, quote unquote, or getting a C in science, for example, we don't have to totally center our connection with our child <laughs> or our worth or how we project their future um, interest in science or success in science and math. So a lot of our interactions and dynamics inside of our homes really center schooling, center performance, center what we think a good, successful person does in school. And those are not, um, you know, those are real assumptions that we make, but they're not necessarily true. And so these centering school is an invitation to say, how am I centering schooling at home? And does that really even lead to success? And how can I decenter that to center true learning and connection? Yeah. You know, if you want, uh, please share with us the, how we could get more information about this. Is there a website we can go to? Uh, the best way to reach me is at, um, on Instagram, which is at Raising Readers. Thank that you. Has, that has a link tree to pretty much all of um, the resources that I share. Thank you. And Kimmy, let's hear from you a little bit about your rationale. I know a tiny bit about your story coming to us from North Carolina this time. Yeah. Um, so very different stories um, compared to the rest. My son, three boys, youngest son, Talon, he's 15 now, but he has autism. And so his IQ is 70. So he, he doesn't meet the normal standards in the classroom to keep up. And um, the average expectations that teachers were ha <clears throat> excuse me, having for him. Uh, so when COVID hit and he was now having to be home, we saw a sense of peace in him that we had never seen mm -hmm. before is in, in his entire school career, right? He'd come home from school crying. He'd go to school crying. <clears throat> that the expectations were more than his brain could digest or function or understand. And those were his words. And we had gone through all these years meeting with teachers, IEPs, we're going to do this. We're, but all those this and that still came with state standards. And so the best analogy I could use to describe how we felt is that our kid was being asked in a wheelchair to run a marathon. He's not in a wheelchair, but it's that sort of analogy. Yep. 
you're asking him to do something he's just not capable of doing because you have standards that you have to uphold. I don't care about those standards. Mm -hmm. I care about him being kind. I care about him being confident. Does he have a handshake, eye contact, communication skills? Does he know how to make lunch on the stove? Right. Those are the things that matter to me the most. So with that, we decided we're not sending him back. There's no reason to subject him to their expectations when ours are so different at home. So we took that plunge and it was a good time for a couple of years. And now we're, now that we feel we established a lot of like good core, core confidence in him, he will be going into high school this next year. So we thought we're going to, we're going to give him that opportunity to see if he's able to kind of readjust himself to, to feel confident and included this time. So can uh, can be fascinating, absolutely yeah. fascinating. And the fact that we have Florida represented, Massachusetts, Georgia, North Carolina, all different um, different regulations, different standards, and different reasons for for addressing the needs of your children. We're going to take a quick break to learn more about MECED, the Charlotte, North Carolina nonprofit that I lead, that's focused on transforming the lives of young people who face obstacles. If you'd like to learn more. You can visit us on the web at www.meched.org. And when we return, we'll talk more about the joys and challenges of homeschooling. Don't go away. The best is yet to come. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now, we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED is invested in me. Um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so, making means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had, through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would 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 do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not. I don't know. 
having someone to talk to on the shoulder, cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Well, welcome back, everyone. Before the break, we were hearing from our amazing uh uh, extraordinary homeschool parents with four very different rationales. Let's pick up where we left off. I have some questions. One has to do with the demographics of homeschooling. How, how does it work? How are you able to do this? For, most people are working two jobs and, you know, have lots of resp- other responsibilities. How are you able to manage, in some cases, four children, you know, uh, on a regular basis? And I'm open to hearing from any one of you. I'll start. We had the flexibility um, with me working from home, like having a really portable job that I could take on the road. And then my other half also was very flexible with travel. So we would take Talon and go on trips. And that was our education. Hmm. And then we would take things from Palm Springs or Utah We'd make destinations out of things that might be history or science, plants, animals. And then we would go and do visit those places. And then he'd have to write five fun fact sentences. Are they proper sentence, capitalization, punctuation? How do we make that into a paragraph? So that's how we really utilized our flexibility with homeschool. But, Love it. Yeah. I would, I would say that that's very much what we've done. I, I work from home. I really have read 
shift in my entire lives to be able to do that. And a lot of my parents, the parents that I work for, um, work with, do the same. So clearly some flexibility in their jobs is important. And also community care. We can come together with other families. We can have um, other people in our in our circle take care of our children or watch our children while we're at work. Um, but the, then the learning, the curriculum, the homeschooling part happens in all places. And it just becomes contextualized in our lives. It's pretty much allowing children to learn the way that adults learn, which is in every day um, and in every way. I mean, not, no skill and drill worksheets? No, we, no. we have the ability to not do that. So yeah. we exercise that. Yeah. Someone I know once said that school is an exercise in cognitive anesthesia. Hmm. You know, word swallowing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think um, for us, it's uh, it's been a combination of things. Um, you know, I think what you're really speaking to is class and how class and privilege play mm-hmm. into this as a choice. Yes. yes. Um, my husband and I are both middle class, but we've had a lot of income instability over the past 20 years. Um, and there were times that were very, very, very tight and times that have been more comfortable. Um, and Prior in the other places that I've lived, I've been a part of homeschooling groups that are very class diverse. So it's certainly possible, but no matter what, it's like so much work all the time, but also really, really worth it. Um, I, yeah, my, I work it, my work is flexible. Um, I've had times where I feel like I'm cramming sort of every, every space in my life is like, I'm cramming something else into it. Um, but in the end, it's like completely worth it. I mean, you know, I think about like, if I had to make four lunches five days a week for, you know, 24 years, I mean, I'll take, I'll take this cram. I I hear you. I hear you. Let me, let me jump in on that as well, because a lot of the times we think or we come from this place where we think homeschooling is difficult. But I want to make it clear that particularly when we talk about class and privilege, um, schooling, having your children in school is also extremely difficult. Uh, Making sure that your children are at the bus stop before you go to school, that is difficult. For me, this idea, or and for many parents, when somebody calls you and you're at work, I remember even my mother, being a working parent with two jobs and somebody would call her at two o'clock, what do you do, right? So having having your school, uh, your school is 180 days a year. The year is 365. So uh, that being able to fit school on a daily basis, on a seasonal basis, it's also very difficult for working class parents. And so when we think about um, homeschooling, in many ways, we can we can create some liberation within that because of the flexibility. And I'll definitely piggyback on what Nikolai is saying because um, in in our situation, um, our our child is back into public school because I don't have the ability um, to commit the the full day to her education while I still implement a lot of our own curriculum based things um, 
outside of her school, right? Again, field trips, education on history, science focuses, kind of those curriculums that lack, I feel like in the public school system, exploration, all of that ideas, you know, thinking outside the box. Um, But that's definitely the time constraint now is harder than it was with the time that I did spend dedicating myself to my child's education. And I yearn for that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, mine was mainly derived from just being quarantined at home um, during that that one year versus um, kind of our my long-term goal, which like I said, I do yearn for the ability to be able to work around my daughter's interest. If she's tired and unfocused, you don't have to push through it. You can make, right. Cause it's, it's a moot point. They're not, they're not engaging. They're not learning. So why wake them up at seven o'clock to get ready mm-hmm. to get into the bus stop, to do these things where they're not functioning appropriately to retain any of the information that you teach them, regardless whether it's homeschool information or, or curriculum based information, but I definitely appreciate what Nikolai says about how you're not, you know, we can do a lesson at um, astronomy in the evening at night, you know, and things that you can actually do on hand and kind of go by if you need a day off or if you want to take a trip. And so I think that's one of the greatest things about homeschooling is um, I think everybody makes it uh, work for them in their schedules. So whether you're full-time homeschooler like Kelly with, you know, four kids and curriculums and stuff like that, um, or like myself, who kind of was just a, a newbie beginner and kind of utilized it as a singular resource. Um, I think, uh, I think everybody can learn something about how you can, um, not conform to just like a time, you know? You know, it's interesting when our kids were younger, um, homeschooling was generally associated with far right Christian groups that had a religious reputation. And it's interesting that of the four stories we're hearing today, none of that has come up. You know, I'm protecting my kids from the evil of the, of the world at home. Um, but I do want to say that critics, even to this day, say that students may learn academically, but they don't learn social skills. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Like you're, you know, by not being in school, it's not that they're not learning social skills. It seems like you're introducing them to all kinds of things. That's my kid's biggest complaint is that, is that criticism. They're like, we're out in the world more than everyone else, but okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just not true. Like, I don't know. There's, it's not, that's kind of like, no, no offense, but it's kind of like a boring conversation in homeschool circles because like it's so obviously not true from the moment that you start. Certainly, if somebody is living rurally and doesn't have a community, that that can be something that needs to be addressed. It's not like it never happens. But I mean, I've known even before I was a, a parent, I taught homeschoolers. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, a dance teacher and I taught homeschoolers and I and I was always, you know, just really, really, I you know, it's like talking to a person, not like any other person I would talk to, it's really. So it's not a cult. Absolutely. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah, it's funny how these things emerge. What a spike, though. The pandemic really shot things through the roof. I know, I think it's a combination, you tell me, of this cybernetic error that we were in, that everything's available to everybody 24-7. You don't have to go to this brick and mortar place that has these secrets that they're going to share with you. It's all available. 
And, and then the pandemic just sort of encouraged people to go, oh, I'm just going to keep my kids at home. I know it didn't in my family. My wife basically told me, you know, she said after a year of this, you know, I always wanted to share my life with you, you just not the house. So it's a different story in, our, in my case. Get out of here. Go to work every day. So tell me more. Tell me more about what you hope for the future is, looks like for, you, for each of you and your kids. Well, yeah, I think for me, uh, my son, it's very social. And really what I was protecting him was from school values, metrics, and um, mistruths and lies. And so he gets to just have a different lens. And what I would hope and what I find very encouraging is that more and more parents are seeing themselves as capable. And in this process of understanding that learning can be constructed in all spaces, they revisit their own childhood and their own narratives that they had as children that maybe taught them that the only way that they can get understanding and learning and progress is if they upheld, right, the system. And now that they see that they don't have to through their mm -hmm. child's home education, they can revisit those things for themselves. And so in this process, we are both homeschooling or unschooling our children and decentering schooling for our children, but really for ourselves so that we can um, impact and we can uh, become the change that we desperately need. You think that, you know, the rise of standardized testing and uh, the focus on math and reading and uh, has, has eliminated or eviscerated some of the things you're talking about in our schools, the arts, for example, critical thinking, civics education. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Now, in terms of regulations, We've heard from four different people in four different states with four completely different sets of regulations. Uh, here in North Carolina, you don't have to report anything. In fact, you're off the grid. The person in charge of, of homeschooling at the state level isn't even part of the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. It's their own division. They have six people working there, 179,000 students that we know of being homeschooled here, and no way to actually get in touch with them reach out to them. If they don't respond, they don't respond. It's short of going to their homes. So it's really hard to tell, you know, what kind of success they have. And of course, the district doesn't get paid, you know, and districts are sometimes driven by dollars and cents. But, you know, if you have a student for four hours a day, or if they're enrolled in one or two virtual classes, you can build a state then for that child, uh, as opposed to a homeschooler who just, they don't get anything for it. And of course, you don't get anything for it either. Uh, seems like there should be some kind of a tax break. But um, I'm just I, curious. Go ahead. I, I, be, I believe that we, we should be paying taxes toward public education. I think, it, I think public education should be better than it is. I think it should meet kids as individuals rather than as a block. You know, I think many other people have spoken to the age thing better than I, but I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for a tax break. Yeah. Yeah. And the public schools, yeah, they do deserve the money and they need the money. And it's not enough of it, frankly. So would you do it again, Ashley, if you, if you had the resources? Absolutely. Um, like I was saying, I, I kind of almost yearn for that time and the ability to 
um, curate my daughter's education because I do feel um, while she ended up advancing into um, and skipping a grade, which that I had to advocate for. So the transition from homeschooling to public schooling and how hard and how many months it took for me to work and Mm. contest and write letters and emails to the principal, vice principals, and of course, then the superintendent to get her where she is now in the grade level that she's quote unquote leveled for versus based on her birthday. Um, I actually almost feel like she's now just plateaued to that standard. And I wish that I can, could continue seeing the growth as rapidly as I did when she was at home with me. Um, So I do wish that I would have the opportunity to do so a full time again. However, um, I do feel like I always make sure that we continue our education at all hours because there's never a time to not learn something or experiencing something. Um, Once again, once again, thank you, Ashley. Thank you. And thank you, Kimmy. Nikolai and Kelly for your insights and willingness to share your stories. We're going to take our final break. Once again, you're going to learn a little bit more about MechEd, the nonprofit I lead in North Carolina. We invite you to find us on the web at meched.org. When we return, we'll be joined by MechEd's amazing COO, Shelly Bybee, and Shelly's going to help us answer the question, what have we learned today? Don't go away. We'll see you on the other side. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. Goal to make sure that every every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MedCAD, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th- I do think MedCAD is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MedCAD means opportunity family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, Career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, It's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, 
I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know. Having someone to talk to on the shoulder, cry on, you know, different family. MechEd's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County. And we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. We want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're hitting on academics. You're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. And every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back to our third and final segment today focused on homeschooling, the fastest growing educational initiative in the country. We're joined by MECED COO, Shelly Bybee. Shelly, what have we learned today? And do you have any questions for our guests? So many, so many. I've just feverishly been taking notes this entire time. Um, First, thank you. What a wonderful conversation. But I think the main thing I kept writing down and going back to is there are so many reasons why we might want to homeschool our own children. Um, And, you know, full disclosure, I was a public school teacher and have always been very passionate about our public schools. Um, I think the pandemic has shown us, though, that there... um, we need to have these backup plans and we need to also recognize what is best for our own students. Um, And every student deserves a rich educational experience. So kudos to every single one of you. I've loved all your stories and what you're doing. You know, one of the things, and I would be interested if somebody has any thoughts on this, when we talk about the states all having different regulations um, and some, you may have to do a standardized test to show growth, some not, you know, what are these measures? It just got me thinking about this post-secondary world And for students in particular, maybe those who do want to go on to uh, a four-year college or a two-year university or, um, yeah, four-year college, you know, how does that affect, and I have no answers here, but how does that affect how we're kind of measuring students that um, are able to say that they may be successful in this um, post-secondary world? And does that even matter, though, you know, colleges now are 
getting rid of SATs, getting rid of ACT requirements. But if we don't have um, standard ways of measuring students, um, for lack of a better term, kind of against each other for admissions, you know, how does, how does this um, non-uniformed regulations affect uh, what we should be looking at with students? Because let's be real, test scores don't show really much. So does this change how we review a student applying to post-secondary world? Um, and what are those things we should be looking for um, instead of test scores and grades? Um, I have college-age children. And I have many, many friends with, with college age children. Um, and those kids have made lots of different choices um, from, you know, completely choosing not to go to college at all, to doing some community college, to entering into four-year institutions. Um, and really most, many, many colleges now are recognizing that the, exactly what you said about standardized test scores. They're looking at the whole person. Um, and I, I don't know that we have time to really dig into that, but the, it's just to let people know that it's not a barrier anymore. Even, I would say even in the time that I had been homeschooling, it is less of a barrier than it was maybe 10 years ago. Um, and there's all kinds of ways to look at people, you know, to look at their critical thinking skills, to look at their interests. Um, and, and it's, ha you know, it's happening. It's, it's just, it's happening it, and it's possible. Yep. Now that I think back, most of the young people who were homeschooled that I know of uh, thrived in college, just thrived. And so it, uh, along with that other myth that you don't learn social skills mm -hmm. is, is that you're, that you're unprepared for college. It doesn't seem to be true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's probably a, the direct similarity because you're learning self-pacing, you're learning responsibility and taking control of your education. And so therefore that is what a lot of public school, you know, high schoolers have a hard time transitioning when they are on their own without parental advisory, without somebody else telling them what to do, when to do it, where to do it, how to do it. And so I think that's where the homeschoolers thrive because they've already built that establishment from whatever age they started, whether they started in the beginning um, or if they transitioned into that, you know, in, um, you know, in the high middle school or high school areas. And I mean, they also thrive when they choose not to go to college. Yes. Right. Right. And I was going to say too, back to the social skills, there's so many programs in, in our area, at least, that the art museum has, the science center has, the YMCA has, and there are four homeschoolers do, during homeschool hours, um, you know, that we go to, there's one, there's something that we would do every single week. And so it provided that outsource interaction or outside interaction with other kids and adults. And it just was never, that was never even an issue. Yep. Yeah. To also go back to Shelly uh, really quickly, but just because you have standards at a state level or at a school level doesn't mean that the that there's a standards in the, there's a standardization of like the mechanism. It mm -hmm. still it still requires of the secondary institution to be able to evaluate um, what those standards even mean. And there is standardization in the process and standard um, and standards for the states, but there's no necessarily like an equitable vehicle. 
And so um, we, we have compulsory system, we have a system with standards, but it's not an equitable system. And so at the secondary level, they have to learn how to evaluate that. And, um, and homeschooling is just another level of um, their ability. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. actually heard it said that there's a difference between standards and standardization. And our, our schools confuse the two. You know, standardization is if you go to any McDonald's, you expect the same thing on every hamburger. That's different from having standards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Shelly, what have we learned today? Yeah. I also, I appreciate the conversation a little bit around class and privilege and, um, and the fact you just brought, you know, things being equitable. These were all words that I wrote down and underlined and just the acknowledgement to that, you know, just because you have a student in the public schools, um, that is very difficult too. I remember as a younger mother, just being overwhelmed. I was working full time and the amount of communications that were coming through to us the expectations of how often you should participate. Um, and when my son started having some behavior problems, you know, recognizing this implicit bias that existed in the school and, you know, um, we considered homeschooling briefly and just, it, it wasn't the right time in my life because I did not have, you know, flexibility, but um, I, I just wanted to appreciate that, that part of the conversation that we all recognize. And I think this just, um, This just needs to be more of an understanding that, you know, we can all make these decisions that are best for our students um, and that there are a million different ways that we can do this. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be in isolation. Um, I've seen a lot of homeschool communities form um, where parents can help one another out. But, you know, just recognizing that in every neighborhood, this isn't necessarily the option that some people can choose, even if it would be the best option for their student. But mm-hmm. yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, so many of the young people we know and who we serve and we're dedicated to supporting their success are facing obstacles that are just extraordinary, right? And um, schools are failing them, yeah. and yet they don't have any options at this moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in many cases, you know, teachers are leaving in droves, obviously, and subs aren't coming back to school. So we have so many young people now going to school. They don't have a teacher or a sub and they're, uh, you know, herded into the gym. I don't know how that's helping, frankly. Right. Right. Not. <laughs> so final thoughts from everybody. Cause do a loop around and just see kind of, you know, if you have any last words or comments or some advice or lessons learned. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a newbie. I'm a a one, you know, a one year, one timer. Um, So I would say I would hope that maybe my experience would help bridge those that um, are afraid to try it and afraid to start. And hopefully this discussion brings up um, some confidence in others that are listening that think, you know, I can be flexible. I can do it. I can make it work. Let's try it. Let's give it a go and see how my child flourishes. So um, thank you, everybody who has uh, continued on their homeschooling um, experience and journeys. Um, And uh, I can say I'm a bit envious that I cannot continue mine at this time, but I do hope um, that I can once again uh, contribute to my daughter's education in that way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say kudos to all of us, every one of us mm -hmm. who even cares about this stuff, right? Right. Um, and it's just really neat, Kelly and Nikolai and Ashley, just to hear um, the differences in our experiences and how, you know, the mission, I think, is the same. We just to know that we have the flexibility and um, ability to go about doing it in the ways that meet the needs of our own homes is really special and wish all the confidence and, and you know, execution for those out there that long for it. You're here. Um, yeah, I never like tried to convince people to homeschool. It's such a personal choice and it can be, it, it can be such a stretch for people to think about um, even with all of the benefits. But I guess like if I sort of hope that anybody gets anything out of this conversation, it's like you can always be thinking outside the box mm -hmm. and that thinking outside the box like helps our kids. Um, and that can be done in the context of homeschooling. It can be done in the context of public school. Like any assumption that you have about learning probably could use a closer look. Um, and there's lots of opportunities and lots of ways to, that that can look um and yeah my my biggest the thing i observed the most in the pandemic was how anxious parents were that their kids were going to fall behind and i just don't think that that has to be such a such a terror you know it's they're gonna like they're gonna be fine like our job is to raise adult humans who can function in the world that's right it. they're gonna be fine here here you bet they are i do worry about our public schools i mean we we want them to be successful we want them to be able to address the needs of our kids so I don't want to make this as, you know, sound as if we're anti-public school, right? We're all pro-public schools uh, and pro-kids. Uh, we just want to make sure that their, their needs are addressed. Right. Well, and I think too, Ross, how do we define success? Mm. What does that look like right, right. for our students as individuals, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it may be different for everybody. I agree. Yeah. And my takeaway and my invitation to people, again, is to, at the end of the day, center humanity and center that you have to parent, you have to teach, you have to render, um, you have to guide the person in front of you, not a curriculum. Right. Uh, and so what are the odds that four million third graders need to be learning the same thing at the same time when mm -hmm. they will do three million, four million different things when they're adults. And so really centering the humanity of the child in front of us is going to be key whether our children go to homeschool or not. You know, the, the great educator, Howard Gardner, was fond of saying that he rues the day that we invented the bell curve. He says it's an accident of history. That, you know, this idea that there's some kids who are in the middle and some kids are high and some kids are low. He said, you know, there's so many different ways to be smart. You look at a ballet dancer, you might, you might say, I think it is that Dora Duncan was the one who said, if I had words, I wouldn't need to dance. So we, somehow as a society, we need to address that and, that and to recognize that there are lots of different ways to be smart. Our schools. Kelly, anything? Uh, I You're good? Think outside the box. Think outside the box. Nikolai, any final words? That's it. Just center humanity. And there you go. And Kimmy, different ways to be successful. And Ashley, you'd do it again if you could. Absolutely. So listen, thank you all. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank all of you for, for participating. Within days, all of these episodes are available. And I've always wanted to say this. 
anywhere you get your podcasts. So uh, please know that it's live right now. Within a few hours, it will be on our homepage, which is you just type in let's reinvent school exclamation point into your browser. It will take you to the homepage. That'll be available tonight. And then in a few days, it goes up on everything, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Audible, et cetera, et cetera. So next week, next week, we're going to address how, excuse me, we're going to focus on how our schools are addressing the increase in violence. We're going to have students participating in that conversation as well as a school psychologist. Until then, you've been listening to Let's Reinvent Schools. Today, we've focused on homeschooling. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you next week. Thank you. you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we give you some more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.